Glad to be here. Hopefully so. Well, good. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, Pastor Jose, Joseph, who we've been supporting in India for about eight years, he's coming. He'll be on November 11th, and I'll be uh, interviewing him. He'll be, he'll be in the States for three weeks. Uh, we'll, he'll be going to Family Life in Lafayette, and I'll be taking him to several other places on some Wednesday services to speak. If, if you're not aware, we started supporting Pastor Joseph about eight years ago, eight and a half years ago. And, uh, uh, you know, he's in remote northern India. Uh, I mean, when I started going there eight years ago, no medical clinics, no anything. Of course, uh, praise the Lord, the, it's, it's, the, it's improving some there. And, um, of course, he has churches in Nepal, too, one in Pakistan. And uh, one of the things, of course, is people are very, 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 very poor. And in this region of the world, people just are dying from lack of medicine, all kind of things. And, and uh, God has used him. Pastor Jose was from southern India in the state of Kerala, which is a highly Christianized state. And he sold everything he had. He moved to northern India and uh, among, working among people where there's a half a percent Christianity. And uh, one of the things we've been helping him with is uh, he wanted to be self-sufficient. So I, I, I felt like the Lord told me that we could, we could partner with them and help them to attain that in about a 10-year period. And by self-sufficiency, uh, they started a buffalo farm. And we started, we, we bought them 25 buffalo, and, and now they have a herd of over 100 buffalo. And they sell the milk of these water buffalo. And, and really, if, if everything is paid for and everything, they would make enough money to uh, support all of their pastors, 160 pastors, an orphanage with 300 people, and a Bible college. And um, so... That was the goal. And uh, so, uh, you know, I, of course, I'll be going there in March. I go there generally every year, sometimes every other year. And um, so they're at the, they're at the finishing, finishing stages of this. We've, we bought them eight acres of land that they grow food on, and they grow tons and tons of rice that feed their kids all year. Uh, we, we bought them land to build their orphanage, the Bible college, and church. And, um, I, and we're in the process now of helping them buy a buffalo farm. And uh, so anyway, the bottom line is between now and next October, uh, you know, we need, to, we need to raise about $125,000 for that. And, um, and some other churches are helping us as well. Uh, but that, that's the goal. And at that point, uh, you know, we will keep supporting them. And I'll still go, be going over there. Uh, but but uh, we will not be giving them any, any large sums of money. That, that's our job. They're self-sufficient. They can take care of themselves, which is what they want and I, I think is really what, what uh, the Lord would want. I say that because of this. Sometimes people come up to me, and, and I'm being very serious. I'm not joking at all. Uh, sometimes people come up to me, and, uh, you know, maybe they already give. They already tithe. But maybe in their heart they want to do something for missions. And it's specific. Maybe they want to do something to help kids. They want to do something to help uh, education. They want to do something. And so uh, he will be coming. And here's, here's my point is, is if you want to do something uh, to spread the gospel, you want to help kids, all the kids that are in his orphanage were, were delivered, were saved out of sex slave trafficking. Very terrible in Nepal. And um, so my whole thing is this. I mean, seriously, sometimes people say, well, I mean, I've, you know, have $25,000 I want to find missions to give to. Um, of course, you're welcome to give that to Family Life as well. But anyway, as a joke, okay? Um, 
But in a serious thing, I don't know of a more worthy cause you could give to than this, than this work in India. I, I mean, since we have been working there for eight, in, in eight years, they've started 60 more churches, and they've, they've, uh, 35,000 people have converted to the Christianity because of them. I mean, I just don't know of many other people uh, that are doing great things. So I, I think they have about 165 churches and, um, and have over 50,000 people. Tracy and I personally uh, have supported this ministry uh, well above what we give to other, other missions. So, but you, if you've never heard him, you'll hear him. He'll be here on uh, November 11th. And um, if you would like to schedule, he'll be here for a number of days. If you would like to schedule your family to have him over for dinner to your house one night, um, uh, all you got to do is get in touch with me, and, um, and, and we'll arrange uh, for you to, to come pick him up where he's staying in the evening, and he can spend a couple hours with your family. Again, again, I don't know of a, of, of a much more powerful thing to do that. I remember when I was growing up, my dad was a pastor, and I... I got to meet some of the most incredible men and women of God that would come through our church just because they would come over to our house. And, I mean, there's prominent people around the world ministering today that I sat down at a table with them and ate, and it's a very powerful experience. So, anyway, so that's that. That will be coming on November 11th, so make sure you're, 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 you're here. Uh, make sure you invite your friends. So today, today I'm continuing a series called The Boundary Stones of Our Faith. And our text was in Deuteronomy chapter 19, so let's get to that real quick. It says this, do not move your neighbor's boundary stone set up by your predecessors in the inheritance you receive in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So let's talk about this. Deuteronomy is, is the final discourse of Moses. He's led the children of Israel, they're on the plains of Moab, they're looking into the promised land. And, and, of course, Moses is not going to be going with them to the promised land. And in Deuteronomy, it's an incredible book. Uh, Moses recounts the law and how they're supposed to live in the land that they're going to possess. How many of you know that God can get you to where you're supposed to go, but to stay there, you need to live accordingly to his plan? And so it's very, it's very interesting. So one of the things that Moses uh, recounts is about these boundary stones. And basically what he was saying was this. You're going to go into the land, and every one of them, uh, individual families and the tribes, they all received an inheritance beside the tribe of Levi because their inheritance was spaces within the other tribes. So every tribe and every individual family received a family allotment so that they could make their living. Of course, it's an, an agrarian society, farming, shepherding, things like that. And he says this, he says, Make sure that once the boundary stones are in place and everyone has their inheritance, make sure that you never infringe on the right of your neighbors by moving the boundary stone. And the thought is this, as time goes by, we, it's just natural. Some families become stronger than other families. Some tribes became larger and more powerful than others, and they had the power to move those stones to infringe on the right of their neighbors. But Moses says, don't do that. And if you go through the Old Testament, this is repeated six more times. And one of the verses even says, whoever moves the boundary stone, there will be a curse upon your life. I mean, some pretty heavy-duty language. And as I was, I was reading this, and, you know, sometimes I've preached so many messages and so many, so many sermons. Sometimes I look for something that I've never spoke on. I just look, for, I, I'm going through the Bible, and I'm just looking for something. Uh, and the, these boundary stones, I started thinking about this. 
Why was it such a, it was such a big deal that it's mentioned seven times, don't, don't move boundary stones. And I was thinking about this. I think boundary stones mean much more than just personal land rights. I believe what God is saying here is, hey, in my word, I've put some boundary stones, some spiritual boundary stones for your lives. And they're there for your protection. They're there to keep you, uh, they're there as markers to keep you going down the path you should go. And the thought is this, when God lays down boundary stones, they're supposed to be there. We're not supposed to argue about where they should be, if we should move them to the right or left. We shouldn't be wondering, uh, you know, should we move them someplace to where it's more uh, easy for us? Those boundary stones are set in place, and if, and if literally, if we take this, 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 these passages literally, it's if God puts a boundary stone in place, and if we move it ourselves because we don't like where it's at, if it's less convenient so we move it somewhere, uh, we end up going outside of God's plan for his life. So these spiritual boundary stones, they're there for our protection. They're there to keep us in line as we pursue God. And it's very, very important. And so we, we've been talking about boundary stones. And here, here's what I, I've noticed. That, um, you know, I, obviously I stake my life on the Bible. I believe that the Bible is God's blueprint for our life. It's of divine authority and authorship. And we're not allowed to just take parts that we like and, and things that we don't like. But over the last, it's, it's gotten really bad over the last 15 or 20 years. It's gotten really bad. And uh, what's happened is society, culture, and even the church. The church is just as guilty. We've been guilty of moving these spiritual boundary stones that God has set in place uh, for our own personal convenience. And we've moved boundary stones that God clearly talked about in his word. And here's the problem. If we want God's blessings upon our lives, I want you to say something. Say, God wants to bless me. God is looking for people to bless. It helps a whole lot if we live within the spiritual boundary stones uh, that he's given us. And, and so last week we started and we talked about the spiritual uh, the boundary stones of God's Word. And we've talked about how, you know, God's Word, the Bible, it, it's His blueprint for our life, and it's His written Word to us. It's inspired it, to give us a blueprint for how, you know, for how we should live. And, but we, we would also say this, that, again, over the last 15, 20, 25 years, there's been an all-out assault on God's Word. And the devil has an, or, he's led an orchestrated attack it's done by, by many layers, uh, by many times by our leaders, by the media, to discredit God's word, uh, to, so that even the people who are Christians have a hard time believing uh, that the Bible is valid and verifiable and it has authority. So last week we talked about the inerrancy of God's word, and if, if you missed that lesson, it's on our website, you can, you can listen to it. But he, here's the deal, I talked about last week about the accuracy and truthfulness of, God, of the Bible, of God's Word. And, and I gave layers of, a I believe, a compelling, scientific, verifiable uh, evidence to support the authenticity of the Bible. We talked about so many things, so you'd have to go back and listen to that. And today we're going we're gonna to go one step further, and we're going to talk about how to get God's Word into your life. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how powerful the Word of, the word of God is. It doesn't matter if it contains truth and it gives us wisdom, guidance, and insight for living, 
None of that matters if we don't know it. None of that matters if we don't do everything we can to get God's Word into our life. I'm afraid as Christians, we're so busy doing so many things that we spend very little time reading, studying, memorizing, and meditating on God's Word. And I'm telling you, if you will get into God's Word, if you will get into God's Word, it will change your life. It will change your attitude. It'll change your faith. It'll change how you see things when things happen to you. So here, here's the bottom line. We've got to figure out how to, how to get this into our life. Research shows that even people who attend church, only 2% of Christians have actually read the Bible from cover to cover. So we wonder why, why we have such sin in the church. We wonder why even the church isn't lining up with the blueprints, with the, with the boundary stones of God's Word. And many times it's because we simply just don't know. I'm not saying that Christians are purposely doing it, but if you don't know the Bible, if you don't spend time ingesting it and getting into your life, sometimes we don't really know uh, what it says. So I'm going to talk to you today about how to get a grasp on the Bible. And uh, so hopefully this is going to really help you. Uh, I, I want to say this. This series that I'm doing, it's really a teaching series and not a preaching series. You say, well, what's the difference between teaching and preaching? Well, about 10 or 15 minutes usually. But, um, but preaching is you get a passage of the Scripture and you stay there and you just dig through it. But what I'm doing is it, this is a teaching thing. And actually, actually, this is the class I've been doing for about six years here in the church. We've been doing it before church, doing it as a small group. And I could not get enough of you to take it. So I changed the title of it, and I'm giving it to you every Sunday. Because I, I, I really believe last week and these next few weeks, they have, see, you have to know what the boundary stones of God's Word says, the boundary stones that God has put in your plate, in your lives, to follow so that you can follow them. And many just don't know. And I think it's important enough, having said that, uh, with teaching, there's so many notes and so last week I emailed my notes to anyone who wants them. They just, they just won't, I can't do it justice. Normally they're in the bulletin, the weekly bulletin. They won't fit. So I have, I have um, the notes to the sermon. First of all, our screen notes, if you go to Version, you can connect with our church and you can get all the notes every week and email them to yourself and save them and print them. I also have some out there on the, in the Life Center. There's a copy stacked out there. If we run out, uh, just write your email, and I will email them to you because it's just so much information. So let's get started. How to get a grasp on the Bible. Uh, let me say something that may shock you a little bit. Before you can read the Bible and really understand it, it really helps to gain some general knowledge about the Bible. If you go buy a book at the bookstore, before, I, I, I love books. I love, I have, I have hundreds of books, Okay. As a matter of fact, I, I bought it. The reason I started using an iPad a number of years ago is because I can go anywhere and I have 60 or 70 books with me. I got tired of carrying books around everywhere. Before I read a book, I read the back cover to see what it's about. I want to know what the author is and I want to know what his belief system is. And before I read something, as a matter of fact, if I start reading a book and the first chapter isn't any good, I close it and I put it away. I give it to somebody. I mean, that, I don't have time to read, to read bad books. So what I'm saying is, if you understand general knowledge about the Bible, it will help you when you start reading it. So let me give you a few tips. First of all, how it was written. We talked about this for 15 minutes last week. The Bible was written over a 1,400-year period from 1300 B.C. through 100 A.D. 
It was written by 30 to 40 authors, the 66 books. You say, how come? You don't know how many authors there are? We know for sure there were 30. There's several of the books that we're not exactly sure who wrote them, although we have a very good idea. And, um, and of course, these were, they were inspired by God, and they compiled what we know now as the books of the Bible, 66 books of the Bible. The Bible was written by and for the Hebrew people. Many people, we have to understand this, that the Bible was written, there's only one author in the Bible, Luke, who was a Gentile physician who wrote the book of Luke and Acts. Every other author uh, in the Bible that, that wrote a book of the Bible is, is of the Hebrew people. It was written by the Hebrew people for the Hebrew people. Um, I, I want to say this too. I, I, I for, sometimes I have so many things in my mind I forgot to uh, uh, talk about earlier. Obviously, um, we're, we're blessed in our salvation. It comes through Jesus, but it came through the Hebrew people. The Hebrew people, the Jewish people, the country of Israel is, is a special place, has a special heart, place, heart of God. And, uh, you know, this I, thing that happened yesterday, I, what I want to say is, have, have you ever wondered why there's so much hatred toward the Jewish nation? How a little bitty country in the Middle East is surrounded by, by all these nations who hate them, yet they can't do anything about it? it, it it's, it's demonic because of the blessing of God upon the Jewish nation. Um, we went, I've been to Israel several times, and I, I've taken uh, groups of people over there, and it's incredible to hear the, hear the Jewish people they would talk about the war with the Syrians and all these people and how these nations were attacking them and, and, and had them outnumbered, but they turned around with tanks and started going away because they saw angels on the Israeli border. And I'm, I'm telling you, so we need to pray for them. And uh, obviously this thing that happened yesterday is, is, is terrible. But I want you to know, this stuff's been going on since way before the Holocaust, and it's going on all around the world, so we, we, need, to, we need to pray for them. Second, the third thing is the Bible was written by a variety of authors. And it's an incredible thing. It was written by fishermen and farmers and prophets and kings and religious leaders. It was written by the rich and the poor, the educated and the un uneducated. We mentioned last week one of the most incredible things that a book that was written over 1,400 years by all these people that weren't living in the same time frame, the same geographical locations, who never talked or conspired to contribute to the work of the Bible, ended up writing this piece of literature that is a story from beginning to end and has no contradictions. That, that's supernatural. That's, that is miraculous. The Bible was written to cover many topics. There's the law, there's history, there's poetry, there's major prophets and minor prophets, there's the gospels of Jesus, the life of Jesus, there's epistles, and this is very important for you to know. There's, there's two major divisions in the Old Testament, uh, in the Bible. The Old Testament, which is the first 39 books of the Bible, and the New Testament, which is the last 27 books. So the Old Testament starts at Genesis and goes through Malachi. The New Testament starts with Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew starts with the Gospels and goes to the book of, of, of Revelation. So here's the thing. The word testament simply means covenant. So what we have, really, when we look at the Bible, you have an old covenant and a new covenant. It's very important for you to know that when you're reading the Old Testament, that this was the first covenant, this was the, this was the old covenant, and the New Testament is the new covenant that came through Jesus Christ. Very, very important for you to know. So 
the, the Bible tells a story of how man was created in perfect union with God in the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world. And once sin entered our world, our relationship with God was broken. Sin destroyed our relationship with God because he is holy and now we were blemished. And so God took the initiative to bring us back into relationship with him through a covenant. And a covenant simply means it's an agreement. It's a commitment. It's a guarantee. It's a pledge. It's a promise. Or it's a bond. So these covenants from God, they were a commitment from God. They were a guarantee from God. They were a pledge from God. They were a promise to God from God that bonded us with him. And so the Old Testament was God's covenant of promise that dealt with sin on a temporary basis. We, we, so important for you to understand, the Old Testament deals with sin on a temporary basis, and the New Testament deals with sin through Jesus on a permanent basis. And I want to show you this, and I think this is, hopefully this will be helpful to you. Hebrews 9.22, it says this, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with the blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so, the biblical word for forgiveness is a, is a word that we don't use today. It's the word atonement. Atonement. How many of you have used the word atonement this week? Anyone? Any of you used the word atonement last week? How many of you have never heard the word atonement? Okay. Jay, you have heard it because you've been in my church, and I know I've used it before. Okay. Um, but... Trinity tells me, Dad, when people raise their hand and you call them out, they're never going to raise their hand again. I said, well, they're saved. It's okay, you know. Anyway, uh, this is some deep stuff. Just want to make it as loud as I can. The word atonement, how you know what the word atonement means is you break it down into its three syllables. At, one, meant. That's what atonement means. Atonement mean, is the word for forgiveness, and it means at, one, meant. So it means that God in... When we say that our sins have been atoned for, it means that God and men have been brought together through Jesus. That's what we, our sin has been atoned for, okay? And so again, let's look at atonement, the word for atonement in the Hebrew, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, is the word kippur. And of course, Yom Kippur is the day of atonement. The Jewish nation still celebrates that today, and kippur means a covering, a temporary covering. And so it's very, very important. So what would happen is, if you read the Old Testament, one day a year, the high priest, only the high priest, would go into the Holy of Holies. And he was the only one allowed to do that. One day a year, where the Ark of the Covenant was, he would go into the presence of God and sacrifice an animal to cover the sins of the people for one year. The next year on the Day of Atonement, he had to do it again. It was a temporary, it was a temporary atonement to cover the sins of the nation of Israel. And it, I find it very interesting to read about that because the high priest, of course, he had to be holy. He had to be in a state of righteousness to go in there or he didn't make it out. How would you like that job? You know, he got on his priestly garments. He did everything to cleanse himself. And they, but they tied a rope around his ankle. And because he had bells on the bottom of his garment, and he went in there to offer the sacrifice for the people. If they didn't hear the bells moving, just pull him out. You couldn't go get him. You ever want that job? Everyone wants the top job. How many want that job? I'm telling you, that would cause you to spend 
a week in prayer and fasting before you go into that room, right? Man. Well, so there was no permanent solution for sin. It was covered temporarily, okay? But then in the New Testament, the New Covenant through Jesus, the word atonement, it comes from the word, uh, the Greek word hilasterion, and it means to take away sin permanently. Permanently. So Jesus came and dealt with sin permanently. It's just, this is very important for you to know as you read your Bibles. So let's look at these two passages uh, from the book of Hebrews that compares the two covenants, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Hebrews 10, 3-4 says this, but, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. So the Day of Atonement, when the high priest went there, it was an annual reminder of, of sin. It is a, because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It can cover it, but not take it away. Hebrews 9, 26, it says, But he, and in parentheses I put Jesus, has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. So it's a once, once, it's a one-time deal. And John said, uh, John the Baptist said in John 1.35, when Jesus came in, behold the Lamb of God who comes to what? Take away the sins of the world. It's a permanent taking away. So the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, sin was temporarily covered. But the Old Testament predicted that one day the righteous one would come. One day Jesus would come to permanently uh, offer a permanent solution for our sins. So that's a little bit about that. So let me, I'm going to spend the next few minutes and... I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm probably going to go over my normal time. I've been doing so good lately getting out on time. This is important. This is important. There's nothing more important we can do than actually learn how to use our Bible and learn, learn how to get into our Bible. So I tell this, how to get a grasp on your Bible, how to get a grasp on the Bible. And uh, I want you to think about that like this. If you have a Bible or if you have a device that has a Bible, uh, think about this way. I'm talking about how to get a grasp on your Bible, like how to, how to hold it, how to hold it so no one can take it from you. And if you, if you, if you think about doing an outline of your hand, uh, you know, you, you, you have five fingers and a palm. And there's six things we have to do to get a grasp on the Bible. First of all, we'll go over these. You have the pink finger, you have, to, you have to hear it, you have to read it, you have to study it, you have to memorize it, you have to medita- meditate on it, and then the palm you have to apply God's Word to your life. That's how you get a grasp on the Bible. You see, uh, you know, it, 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 if you just hold the Bible like this, someone can come and take it and hit you with it. If, if you have a grasp on it, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you really understand what it's in there, no one can take it from you, and you can use it quite effectively. So I'm going to talk to you about how to develop these six skills into your life so that, so that you can get a grasp on the Bible. So the first one is, the first one is, is you have to begin to hear God's Word. So we're going to talk to you about how to hear God's Word. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing the Word of God. Well, how do you hear God's Word? Well, you can, you can hear it every Sunday here. You can hear it on the radio. You can hear, hear, hear it on TV. You can come to a Bible study and hear God's Word. Uh, you can listen to the Bible. You know, now you can, you can play it on your phone, iPad, whatever, CD, and you can hear God's Word being read over and over. But the thought is this. Here's the thought. Whatever you hear impacts your life. 
See, we, we, I know guys, they spend hours and hours a week listening to sports radio. So they can tell you all the facts, all the trades. I'm not sure it's impacting their life. I'm not sure it's helping their life. I'm not sure it's helping their marriage. I'm not sure it's helping their kids. I'm not sure it's helping them get ahead on the job. And so what, what are we listening to? What are we, whatever we hear, whatever comes into our mind, that's what we focus on. And what I'm saying is when you begin to hear God's word, when you begin to hear the miracles of the Bible, when you begin to hear how God came through for his people time and time again, it will change how you see life. It will change your direction of life. Now, here's the problem with hearing alone. If all you do is hear, we forget 95% of what we hear within 72 hours. Okay? So th those that are just listening so good right now, by Wednesday, you're not going to remember very much. And if you're above average, okay, let, let's say you, you retain 70% of it. But how many of you know that there are ways that we can improve our hearing? There are ways that we can improve our hearing. And the first thing is this, is be ready and eager to hear God's Word. We've got we to be ready and eager that when we go to a place where we're hearing something, we're not messing with our cell phones, we're not thinking about what's for lunch, we're not thinking about the problems last week, that we're actually listening. We're listening for content. We're listening to apply into our lives. James 1.19 says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So how many of you think, know that probably all of us in every area of our life, we need to do better at listening. We need to do better at listening. We need to listen. So we need to listen to God's Word. I'll never forget this is many years ago. Tracy told me one day, she said, you are a terrible listener. So I said, I disagree with that. And Tracy can never remember facts and things, but after she rattled off ten reasons why I was a bad listener, I said, hey, you know, you don't have to be mean. One or two would have been sufficient, you know? And, and so if you think about it, even when we're having conversations with somebody else, we're not really listening to them. We're thinking about how we're going to respond. You're in a meeting at work. You're not even thinking about the meeting. You're thinking about something over here. And, and so uh, we, we need to be ready and eager to hear God's word. And I even tell people, hey, man, don't, don't, don't waste your time. Don't come to church and sleep. Go to bed early. Go to bed early. I act like, man, I have a date with God tomorrow. I believe God's going to change my life. I believe something's going to happen. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to speak to me tomorrow. You know? And so be, be ready and eager to hear God's word. Second thing is confess any sin in your life. Confess sin. If you, you know, obviously we're all sinners and we all mess up. But if we have blatant, unrepented, habitual sin in our life, it is going to stop. It's going to stop us from hearing from God and really hearing his word. James 1.21 says, get rid of all moral filth and humbly accept the word of God. Take notes on what you hear. Take notes. How many of you know that, you know, I, I, when I was in college so many years ago, and when I've gone to seminars and classes, if I just listen, I don't, hear, I don't hear much, but if I take notes on what I hear, it helps my retention incredibly. That's why I put notes in there for you. Save them up and Hebrews 2.1 says, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away from it. I encourage everyone to keep a spiritual notebook. You know, sometimes you come to church and it's a great message, someone speaks, and, but it's not for you on that day. I mean, it's a great message on fear, but you're not fearful right now. 
Well, in six months, you may be. That's why, you know, keep a spiritual notebook and, 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 and keep it in there and keep all your things so that if you have a problem in six months, you remember, man, I remember we had a guest speaker. Or I remember Pastor Terry. I remember somebody was talking about this. And you go back and then all of a sudden you have four points and all these scriptures on fear or whatever it is. And, man, all of a sudden your spiritual notebook just helped you even though you're not actually in church. And, of course, the fourth thing is this, is to act on what you hear. Our hearing, our retention goes up when we actually put what we're hearing into practice. We start putting it into our daily lives. James 1.22, it says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. How many times have we heard something that applied to us and we deceived ourselves and didn't put it into practice? Come on now, I've, I've, been, I've been guilty of that. I, th- I think we all are. So when we, when we act on something, it means that we actually believe it and we think it's important in our lives. So if we're hearing the word of God and we're not doing anything of it, we're, we're just giving really God lip service. So the painful thing in our lives, it, it's a painful thing, but it's a beautiful thing. It's kind of like going to the gym. It's painful. Over time, it's okay, right? When we hear God's word, we're like, ooh, that hit me hard, you know? That hit me hard. When we start putting it into our life, yeah, there's pain because things are changing, but the beauty is now God is starting to work in our lives and God's going to begin to open doors for us. So you have to hear God's word. The second thing is, is you have to start reading God's word. You have to start reading Revelation 1, 3. It's an incredible blessing. It says this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. So isn't that interesting that the Bible says that you can be blessed just by reading the Bible. It's a blessing just to read God's word out loud, to hear God's word out loud. There's a blessing in our life just simply uh, for doing that. And the question I'm often asked is, hey, hey, Terry, how often should we read God's word? And, and the thought is daily. But I want to say this, if you're not reading the Bible at all, if you start two or three days a week, that's a huge, that's a dramatic improvement in your life. So I'm saying, just start somewhere. You can always work your way up. See, I think what we do, and I, we all do this, when we set goals for ourselves, we set goals that are not attainable. You know? I'm going to read the New Testament this afternoon. I'm going to read the New Testament this afternoon. I'm just going to do it, you know? And you could do it. The New Testament has less words in it than the Houston Chronicle. I know a lot of people who order the Houston Chronicle and read the whole thing, sit in their chair off me. So you could do it, but... That's, that is a lofty goal, and you may not remember that much about it. So look at Deuteronomy 17, 19. It says this, that, that copy of the law should be his constant companion. The laws is the word of God, the Bible. He must read from it every day of his life so that he will learn to respect the Lord his God by obeying all of his commands. Let me give you some suggestions for reading the Bible. First of all, I think you need to read it systematically. I had one friend who read his Bible every day, and he would, he would, I said, well, where do you read from? He's like, well, I don't know. I just, I just kind of close my eyes and ask the Holy Spirit to guide me, and I just open it up. So he may read from Haggai one day, Zephaniah one day. You know, he's like, yeah, that's Zephaniah, man. It scares me sometimes. I try not to open up there, you know. But, but the, the thing, 
Yeah, you open up to one of the prophets. There's no telling what, what you think God may want you to do that day. But um, the, the thought is this. You know, get a system. Get a system. If you start in the New Testament, start with Matthew. Read Matthew through. Then go to Mark. Then go to Luke. and Read it in a systematic way. Uh, let me share an insight with you. The bottom line is this. If you read about 20 minutes a day, you can read through the Bible in a year. 20 minutes a day. All of us can carve 20 minutes out. If you can't, come to me with your calendar. I'm going to help you carve 20 minutes out a day, okay? But the thing with, let me tell you, uh, put the YouTube, the U, uh, YouVersion app up. So there's, this is a free app. And you can go to the App Store. And this, this was created by a pastor. And uh, this is an incredible, this is an incredible gift. Download this app. First of all, you can, get all, you can go to our church and get all of our notes, all my notes on here. But on, on you version, there's, there's a, a yearly Bible. And you started playing. Like if you start today, you read, you, you'll, you'll read like a verse in Genesis, a verse in Matthew, and a Psalm or a Proverbs. So you're reading the Old Testament and the New Testament and a Psalm or a Proverb every day. It doesn't take long. And beyond that, there's also a little devotional that goes before that day. You can read on your phone, on, where, on your computer, and so I, I really encourage you, uh, if, if you have a regular Bible, that's, that, that's great too. But I just know where we're at and how busy we are. Your phone goes with you everywhere. And this is an incredible thing. But uh, I encourage you, I, I encourage you, I know it's not very popular today, but, um, you know, if you get a hard copy of the Bible, I know, you know, for the, all of us old people, uh, there are study Bibles, like the Life Application Study Bible. The beautiful thing about that is there's all these notes so before you read Matthew, it gives you a commentary on who Matthew was. It's incredible. So you read that, and as you read the book about you know who the authors were, you know where this is happening, you know the time frame this is happening in, and so you're really, really getting the Word of God into you. So hear it, read it. The third thing is to study it. There's an interesting, there's an interesting uh, verse in Acts 17, 11, it says this, now the Bereans were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scripture every day to see if what Paul said was true. So they just didn't take Paul's word for anything. They went to make, to make sure that what Paul said was actually in the Bible. And so what I want to encourage you is to learn how to do an inductive Bible study. Inductive. An inductive Bible study begins with the Bible and not with books about the Bible. So there, there's some things here. As you start to study the Bible, there's some things you need to know. First of all, examination. What, what does the Bible say? Interpretation. What does it mean by what it says? And three is application. How am I going to apply this in my life? So let, let, let me give you an example. Uh, I, hear, I hear Christians quote Scripture sometimes, which for that I'm very excited, but sometimes they leave some parts out. See, if we're going to study the Bible, we have to know, what did it really say, and how can I apply it to my life? Very important. So James 4, 7, it, 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 it says this. It says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So I hear Christians saying, they're resisting the devil and telling him to flee from them. But I'm wondering if they first submitted to God. That's like a really important thing there, right? 
Submit to God. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Which means you can resist the devil all you want. If you're not first submitted to God, I'm not sure how that's going to work for you. So we have to make sure we're staying in the Bible that what, what, what did it say? What, what did it say, you know? What does it say? What does it mean? And how am I going to apply it to, to, uh, to my life? Let's talk about memorizing God's Word. So to, so to get a handle on our Bibles, to be influenced by the Bible, to have God's Word just working in our lives, to fill ourselves up, you know, it helps to, this layered approach. I mean, you're hearing the Word, you're reading the Word, you're studying the Word, you're memorizing the Word. And it says this in Proverbs 7, 2, and 3. Keep my commandments and you will live. Guard my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablets of your heart. So we're, we're supposed to have it in us. And, you know, the, Jew, the Jewish people, they used, to have, uh, they used to have the Word of God written on them. They would have it on their, on their sleeves, hands, on their forehead, on their, on their body, in their homes. They had the Word of God so they could read it. So the benefits of, of memorizing Scripture is, first of all, it helps me resist temptation. If you know the Word of God and you're tempted to do something you shouldn't do, knowing, having that knowledge helps you to resist temptation. It helps me, helps me make wise decisions. Psalms 119.105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It comforts me when I'm under stress. Psalm 119.49-50, Remember your promise to me. It is my only hope. Your promise revives me. It, it comforts me in all of my troubles. Isn't it funny that whenever someone gets discouraged or depressed, the, the first thing they do is stop going to church? They just isolate themselves away from people who love them, away from God's word that can revive them, comfort them. Number four, it helps me witness to unbelievers. 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So how, how, do, you, how do you start memorizing the Bible? And I tell people this, start with a passage that deals with a topic that you're struggling with. Like if, if you're struggling in relationships, I, I would focus on all the passages that talk about relationships and start to memorize those. If you're struggling with fear, I would go and start memorizing scriptures that tell us to fear not. If you're struggling with faith and believing something, I would look on several passages that, that defines what faith is and really just start hammering those. If it's something that re that's relevant to us and can help us, it's easier to memorize. And of course, you know, you can write it out or put it on your phone and and if you're exercising or during lunch or during a quiet time, you can memorize, memorize that verse. Let's, let's talk, number five, about how to meditate on God's Word. So again, this layered approach, we, we need to hear it, we need to read it, we need to study it, we need to memorize it, but then meditate on it. And let me, let me say this, God, God didn't put His Word, didn't give His Word to us so we could speed read through it so we could put a star under duty. He gave us his word to think about, to read it, and to think about it. And so if you have a quiet, quiet time, and you're, you're, let's say you're reading on version through the year Bible, whatever you read that morning, 
Think about a couple passages during the day. Think about it. Don't, don't just read it and go on to the next day. Think about it during the day. Psalms 1, verse 2 and 3, it says, But they delight in doing everything God wants them to do, and day and night are always meditating on his law and thinking about ways to follow him more closely. They are like trees along a riverbank, bearing luscious fruit each, each season without fail. Their leaves shall never wither, and all they do shall prosper. So meditation is simply just, it's focused thinking about a Bible verse in order to discover how I can apply its truth to my personal life. I'll give you a quick story. Uh, I, I believe it was last year, is last year, and I was reading, uh, I was reading through the, the YouVersion app, and the, the devotion that goes in the very beginning of the day, the, the, the title was Walking with God. And this little, this little bit of devotion, it said this. It talked about how Enoch walked with God. The Bible says Enoch walked with God and he was no more. And that Noah walked with God. And then we know in the Garden of Eden, God came down there and he walked with Adam and Eve. And the thought I got from that is, man, our relationship with God is like taking a walk with a friend. You know, that God's walking with us. And, and he's there anyway. Let's acknowledge him and talk to him. You know, let's acknowledge that he's with us when we go to the store. He's with us when we're watching television shows. He's with us when we're treating people in a certain ways. And think about that. See, God, God never intended for us to, for him to be a distant relationship with us. He never intended to be known as the man upstairs. He intended, he, what he, the Bible says that he is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. That's what God is. And, and he's walking, and every day, tomorrow, when you leave here, when you go to work, you're on a walk with God. So, so we, we have to think about this. And when you read something, you see God did something in someone else's life, you know what? God will do it in your life too. And I just want to compel you to, to, to start thinking and meditating on the things that you read. And, you know, you can picture it, get a mental picture. You can personalize it, and you, you can begin to pray that. You know, so that day I started being like, God, you know, Enoch walked with you. You know, Noah walked with you. You walked with Adam. I want you to walk with me. Would you walk with me today? God, I invite you to walk with me. I'm going to acknowledge that we are in a friend relationship and we're walking through life together. It, it See, if you think that God is distant and he can't see you and he's not involved in your life, that changes the, the dynamic than when you think that, no, God is a friend, that God, he's, he's with me. He's walking through life with me. Let's talk about the last thing here and how to apply God's word in our daily lives. How to apply it. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so how to apply God's word in your life. And, and there's, there's an interesting thing. And listen, I know that you've just got an incredible amount of information here right now. I've just unleashed a lot of information on you. And so I encourage you to get the notes out there. I'll email them to you. You can listen to this message. It'll be up tomorrow as many times as you want with the notes right there to really just get this in your life. But there's some, to apply God's word in our lives, there are some questions you have to ask. And the first thing is this. When you read something, what did it mean to the original hearers? Number two, what is the underlying principle that I can use and how can I apply this uh, you know, to my life. So think about this. 
when you read a passage, well, you know, what did it mean to them? In every biblical principle, every, every time you read a story, there's always a timeless principle that goes into our lives. You just have to find out what it is. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, in Acts 15, 29, so uh, as people started coming to Christ, all these Gentiles started to get saved when the early church was exploding in the book of Acts, there came a question to the Christian, the church fathers. They called a Jerusalem council, and it's like this. What should we require of the, all the Gentile new converts? You know, should they have to keep the Jewish law? And they're debating back and forth, and the fathers are saying, well, we can't even keep the Jewish law. So no. And so here, here, here's what they say to them, Acts 15, 29. This was to the new Gentile converts, everyone that wasn't Jewish that was coming to belief in Jesus Christ. You are to abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, and from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Now, let's talk about this. You know, what a lot of people do is they're like, well, that doesn't apply to me. I haven't sacrificed any meat to any, any idols. Although I'm going to tell you, all around the world, people, this still happens. I've, gone, I've, I've been to at least seven or eight places where I've gone by and they had meat sacrificed to idols. So, so, what would, so first thing is, what did it mean to the original hearers? In, in the original hearers, people would go and sacrifice meat before these idols in the marketplaces. And surprise, surprise, the meat was never eaten. Because the idol's not alive, right? And so they would make their sacrifice, then not to lose money after a while, they would take that and go sell it in the market. I mean, hey, you know, we're committed to this idol, but, you know, we want to make money too, right? That's a high commitment right there. And so but to the Jewish people, it was highly offensible to eat anything that had been sacrificed to an idol. I mean, it was reprehensible to them. So what it meant to them, I told you that, but the timeless principle in our lives, when I read that, I'm like, well, how can I use this in my life? And here's the timeless principle, just to give you an example, that we should never do anything intentionally to offend a brother or sister. If that offends them, I'm not going to do it. If that's going to cause problems in their life, I'm not going to do it. If I'm having some people over to my house from the church and I like to drink wine and they went through AA because they have an alcohol problem, I'm going to hide the wine. I don't have wine anyway. I'm just, that's an illustration. Illustration. But you know what I'm saying? Well, how would our lives be different if we went through lives saying, I want to do everything I can to get along with people. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I want to do everything I can to promote love and peace. Don't we need that in the world today? Come on, church. It's gotten ridiculous out there today. And so, uh, you, you, we can have the worship team come on up. So, so that's it. I'm, I just really challenge you today is, you know, uh, if the Bible is the blueprint for our life, if, if, if the Bible is, is the boundary stone, and all the boundary stones for the Christian faith are contained in the Bible, then it is imperative. It's imperative that, that the Word of God gets into our life. That the Word of God, that we begin to hear it, we begin to read it, we begin to study it, we begin to memorize it, meditate it, and, and apply it in our lives. So I want, I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to take 30 days, 30 days to really start to soak yourself in God's Word. I, think, I want you to write a journal 
how you feel today, how your life's going today. And in 30 days, I want you to start listening to the Bible. I want you to start reading it. I, I just want you to start all these things we talked about, start doing these things consistently, taking time to do that for 30 days and see how your life changes. Would you stand with me? I know you don't care, but I apologize for going a little bit longer today. I try to be consistent. God, I just, I thank you today. Lord, as Christians, there is nothing more important than getting to know your word. There is nothing that will change our lives more. There is nothing that will change the direction, the course of our lives, as when we begin to read your Bible and start to apply it to our lives. So God, I pray right now that our, our biblical IQ is going up at Family Life. God, I pray that your people are going to just fall in love with your word. They're going to begin to listen to it and, and, and read it and study it and memorize it and meditate on it. And most importantly, God, they're going to apply it to their lives. Thank you, Jesus. God, I'm just thank you today for your people. I thank you for, for the liberty and freedom we have to hear your word anytime we want. The, the freedom and liberty we have to read your Bible at any time, Lord God. It's such a privilege to live in a, in a society where there's just freedom. God, we just pray for all those who are suffering and persecuting today. God, we just pray for the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pennsylvania this morning. And God, I don't have any words, but Lord, I know that you're a God of grace and mercy and comfort. And I pray, Lord God, that you comfort these families. God, I pray for you to wrap your arms around these, these families of this community. And God, I just declare, as your word says, that you're going to take a bad situation and you're going to bring something positive out of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, churches, I dismiss you. If we could get all the guys to help stack up chairs, it'd really